Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and our uh, time for study God's Word is beginning. If you have a little one up through, actually, not so little, grade six, they can be dismissed to junior church if you'd like them to be there. You're more than welcome to keep them as well up here, but you can follow those group, that group downstairs, and I picked them up downstairs when we're completed up here this morning. I pray that uh, you've been in the Word this week. What a blessing it is to have the full copy of God's Word at your disposal, probably multiple copies in your home, as many around the world do not, or have only small fragments of the Word of God and, and devour those small fragments as they receive them. But to whom much is given, much is also required, and I pray that your time in the Word this week was rich, that you spent every day, some time every day in the Word, meditating on it, uh, looking at those portions that you understand and putting them into practice, writing down those things you don't, and allowing the Word to answer those questions. If you need a way to read through the Bible in a year, let me encourage you, this is the time of year to begin that. Right there in the back, underneath the missions map, you can get a trifold that can help you read through the Word of God in a year. Richness of that will be yours. We encourage you continually to do that as it is of the Lord's mind for you to know what He thinks and how He acts. God's plan for a healthy church is our study, and it's a study through uh, the books of First and Second Corinthians, Paul's letters to the Corinthians that we have. Uh, unity, and really here today, true evaluation, and, and that's particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 17. To preserve our time together, I just want to read the passage that's under our consideration this morning. We're going to start in chapter 3 and begin in verse 10. And I'll give you uh, verse cues to stay together, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard, which you can find in the chair in front of you, or just read in your copy of God's Word that you study and memorize, and we'll just stay together by verses. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Verse 13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward, verse 15, but if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. Verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let's stop right there. As we began this section last week, we identified this passage as one of several that deal with a very important future reality for every believer. And as it is our habit, just a, by way of a brief review so we can set this stage for us, a very important, I think, section of Scripture much overlooked or read too quickly uh, in the modern church today. And so we're, I'm excited about bringing it to you. I'm excited about my own life and how Again, as I've read through this and studied it, how it begins to set straight those things that need to be set straight. And I pray that the same for you. The Holy Spirit will work there in your heart as well. This is a very important future reality for every believer. There's coming a time when all the works of all believers will be subject to test by fire to determine whether they're worthy of reward. And as we said last time, it is a test for reward, not for uh, punishment for sin. That's all been put on the cross for those who claim Christ as their Savior. As it relates to this, the lack of unity in the Christian church, in the, in the Corinthian church, and in the Christian church in general, which is Paul's focus right now, 
He's bringing this to bear because in all of their, in all their infant way, of they, they've approached the, the understanding of the word after Paul had been there so long, after Apollos had been there so long, uh, and the childish way in which they were acting. I think that Paul brings this to bear because a reward system is something that even those who are infant in Christ and should be full-grown can perhaps be drawn to. And really the idea is that apart from what they may think about their Christian life, apart from what they may think about their opinions and how they've established themselves, and apart from all of that, whatever the background, uh, wherever they're coming from, whatever faction they're involved in or not involved in, they should become uh, very, very concerned, and, and this should become a very, very important uh, part of their future reality for every believer, which is this judgment seat of Christ. Sishu was one of the greatest motivating forces in the life of Paul. Uh, Paul talks about it directly in the two letters that we have to Corinth, uh, two times in these letters. First one, of course, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, which is what we're looking at today. Uh, and you can look there if you would. 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Let's stop right there. And we saw last time, Paul's just saying God's at work in me uh, to accomplish his own plan. And so Paul is not taking any credit, which would just exacerbate the problem as Paul is named as one of those that are followed or criticized or whatever may, the case may be. So he's not taking any credit. He's not saying, I'm the greatest because I laid the foundation. Everybody else only adds to what I've done. No, he's saying, uh, by God's grace, I have laid a foundation. Paul was very skillful. Uh, he knew what he was doing. He was a combination of architect and builder, as we saw last time, which the words describe for us. That's what he says. I'm a wise master builder. I laid, he said, a foundation and another is building on it. We saw laid is past. Uh, with continuing results, Paul laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity. And what is that? Is it uh, our ethics? Is it our morality? No. Is it uh, traditions of man, the historical church? No. Is it uh, it's Jesus, Jesus Christ. Paul laid Jesus as the foundation, and we can only build on a true doctrine of Christ. The foundation is Christ. In that sense, the foundation is the whole of the Word of God, then, as we understand God to be revealed, of course, through Jesus. Paul says, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. And in the case of Corinth, of course, as you know, the next guy was Apollos, and Apollos uh, built on what Paul had begun, and Apollos was followed by others, and all the believers really were part of it and are still part of it as they are also functioning in the building on this foundation. And it says this, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. So a little bit of a warning there. The building is still going on, so the idea there uh, is they're still building, we're still building on what's already been done. As you have a ministry and you're involved, you're building and so the word for building is in the present tense. Another continually, if you will, builds on it. The foundation is laid. We are building on that foundation. And so Paul's making it clear uh, from 1 Corinthians 3, the dynamic of this judgment seat of Christ, the scope of the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we saw at verse 13, uh, each man's work will become evident. We saw at the end of verse 13, the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Uh, the end of verse 14, the beginning of verse 15, of course, if any man's work which he's built on remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. And then if you take in then a parallel passage from 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, where Paul's audience is obviously the entire church, not just speaking about himself and Apollos and Cephas and whatever, but the entire church. He says this, for we must all appear, he says, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we have to take this passage then, as we begin here in 1 Corinthians 3, we have to take it uh, more broadly then, than just Paul, just Apollos, just Cephas, just uh, those that are uh, part of those who've led the church that the people are arguing about and, and liking better or liking worse or whatever the, 
case may be, Paul doesn't really bring it to task here. He just brings the fact that there's division to task. So there's a very broad scope then to this judgment seat of Christ. And though all of us are not in the same degree of building on that apostolic foundation, we are all building on it because every one of us has a ministry. And every one of us is doing ministry inside the church and inside uh, this continuing building of uh, the local church. Now look at verse 11, if you would, 1 Corinthians 3, 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So apostolic doctrine was all about Christ. Uh, that's the foundation. The whole New Testament is Christ. His life on earth is the Gospels. Christ active in establishing the church is Acts. Uh, the believer's life in the church really explained and directed. That's the epistles, the book of Revelation written to tell us that Christ is still alive, reigning, and going to return so the revealed Christ is the foundation on which all building is to occur. Uh, we can't have a spiritual house built on the traditions of men. Uh, we can't have a spiritual house uh, built on morality or doing good to those less fortunate or ph philanthropy or self-righteousness or whatever the case may be. Uh, the only foundation for corporate life, which is the church, is Jesus Christ. If that foundation goes, then everything else falls as well. So uh, the, the only foundation upon which man may build a fitting temple for God is Jesus, as he has explained as he's demonstrated in the word of God and being born again is the starting point. Okay, so we can see where we're supposed to be, what's uh, the case here for Paul, what's his direction. Now look at verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each man's work will become evident. So here's the idea. Once the foundation is laid, and that assumes saving faith in this context. So speaking to believers, very specific, foundation is laid, that's Jesus. On top of that foundation, the materials for building are placed. I told you last time as we closed out, just imagine yourself, here's a lot, it has a foundation laid, you look out at that lot with a foundation there, and the span of building is the time of your life, and you're going to be building with all kinds of materials, there's some available to you, and so you're going to be building uh, during your life. And many materials you could use, if you're born again, you have been building with materials, okay? So at the course of time that you've been alive, you've already been building. So uh, if, unless you just came to Christ a few moments ago, uh, then you're, and that way your foundation will be blank, ready to be built. But if you've come to Christ years ago, many years ago, whatever the case may be, you've already been building, okay? Which is why I think this passage is super important. It should be really Christianity 101 uh, as people come to faith. Very important. So you've already been building. So that's our jumping off thought from last week. So uh, go back to verse 12. Now, if any man, he says, uh, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Let's pause right there. And as we get ready to dig in here, I want to make it clear again, okay? There are many different materials to use. And that's really a bit of insight, I think, from the Lord that all churches will not be the same. The well, reason why I say that is that we know that all believers will not end up being the same. As apart, apart from being saved and your robe of righteousness, which is a dead heat, everything else is not. Unlike public school today and some private schools where, you know, everybody has to come out even and everybody has to be, you know, we don't say anybody's the winner and we don't keep score and whatever, okay? It's quite opposite in heaven. Okay, the Lord does keep score and keeps track of all of that. It's important, okay? And so uh, there are, I think, uh, we understand all believers don't end up being the same. There are, uh, they are all believers, so they'll all be with Jesus in the eternal state, but they won't all have the same position. And I think we can see that clearly from the New Testament. Some will have endured hardship well and uh, will glorify God in a better way than others. Some will have laid up treasure in heaven. You had the opportunity to do that just a minute ago in their giving, and they'll have those things to use to glorify God in a better way than those who didn't lay up any treasure or laid up very little. 
And as Luke 19 says, they were faithful in little, so God will put them in charge of much. Uh, some will have crowns that others don't have, and we're going to look at that in a short time. And so as Paul uh, says here, believers will use differing materials, and in that vein, that will become the nature of the church, the assembly of believers as well. I think you can catch that. So whatever materials you're using personally, uh, as it is applied corporately, that becomes really what the church begins to look like. Okay? So just in summary, according to Paul, verse 12, there will be gold believers, there'll be straw ones. Uh, there are all believers, they, they are all because they are all building on the same foundation. So there will be then in that same light, gold churches, silver churches, costly stone types of churches. There will also be stubble churches and there, because there will be believers like that inside uh, the corporate membership. There will be all believers, but some of their buildings will have an eternal value and, and they will make an eternal contribution. Others, they're just there and varieties of materials which show us really that God knew in advance what people would do. And so he just tells us, listen, this is what it's going to look like, and these are the types of materials that are going to be there. And the materials the believers use really becomes, in a real sense, the identity of the church. Okay? And of course, now I just say this to say, that's very hard to evaluate, which is why God preserves the right to do that, which is why he's giving us this up front. But there are certainly some things that we can know about the building materials used. Otherwise, what would be the point of giving us the instruction? All right? So it's not just self-defined. There will undoubtedly be some things that we can identify about ourselves as we do the study, which should make a difference in the materials that you choose and have chosen in the past. Uh, many times people will ask, you know, why are there so many denominations? A very common question. Why are there so many types of churches? And I think certainly a partial answer is because some of them are gold and some of them are silver and some are precious stones and some are wood and some are hay and some are straw because that's the material that's been used by the individuals who make up that assembly. And some of them appear to live in such a non-committed life and so seem so uncommitted to what the Lord would have them to say. And others, of course, very committed to the Lord and the testimony of Christ. And so those types of buildings differ. And that's because some of them have been building with gold and silver and precious stones and some with wood, hay, and straw. And maybe you're thinking, well, which material is Berean? Well, we're going to get to find out in the future, right? And God will reveal that to us and he'll be clear and it'll be obvious then at that point when God does that. I know which ones I want us to be, and I know which ones I want to be, as I'm sure you do as well. And as we will see, we'll all have a say, listen, in the building material, okay? You all have a say in the material used. The final say, actually, in the material used. Be a gold, silver, or precious stone saint, and not a wood, hay, and straw saint. Now, we foreshadowed that a little bit, so you can begin to wrap your thoughts around this. Uh, little by little, as the Holy Spirit leads us along, I want us to grab this and see the reality of this. So I'm going to explain it in a bunch of different ways and really cross-reference a number of things, perhaps, uh, that will be tied together now for you uh, as it relates to reward. Look back at verse 12, if you would. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, there is listed here for us that variety of building materials available. Now, as we've seen, if you are a believer, you have been, you will continue to build a building uh, which is your life as a believer. Paul says uh, in verse 9, you are God's building. He just specifically spells it right out. Uh, we see in verse 16, you are the temple of God. So what you are building is God's, ultimately. It belongs to him, okay? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your, which is Christ, okay? So understand, you're the temple of God. Verse 16, you are God's building. So what you are building is God's ultimately, and it is then ultimately for God's glory that you do it. All right, now I want, to, I want you to keep that in your mind, all right? And that's an easy enough connection to make no argument here, I think, from believers. So 
You're building this building. It belongs to God. It's for his glory. Now imagine that scenario in your mind, okay? And also imagine that in the construction of this building, which is up to you, okay? It falls to you to build it. Imagine that you have unlimited resources. And you don't have to imagine that for very long because that's the reality of your life, okay? That's your reality. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 makes that very clear. What's it say? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's quite the snapshot. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you can go well beyond what you can think about or even ask about. You have the resources available to you to build whatever type of building you wish to build. So according to verse 12, you can build with precious stones. Now, those two words are important, and I, I want us to, to get our mind around those. Uh, the word for stone is lithos. It probably refers to granite or marble, and not to a gemstone, necessarily. Uh, timios, which is the word for costly or expensive, it can refer to a gemstone. That's probably not the case here because we're talking about building materials. So costly stone would be stone that would be heavy, uh, it would be beautiful, it would be lasting. Okay, so think about granite, think about marble, think about those types of things. So according to Paul, you can go out and build with lasting building material. That's your choice because you're building the building. Okay, if you were going to build a lasting building, granite, marble, slate, tile, that would be good. All those things are lasting. A great solid granite marble thing overlaid with gold and silver, and it would be beautiful. It would be a good building, a lasting structure. But you know that some Christians, here's what they do. They build out of wood, uh, wood frames around the doors, wood frames around their windows instead of marble or granite. And they use what's called hay or straw, and hay is used to mix with mud to make bricks, so the corner stones in the framework are wood faced with mud brick, and the straw is used to thatch a roof instead of using slate or tile, and uh, here's the point. Both builders had the same resources and the same spirit and the same power. Okay? No excuses. Whatever you built with, whatever the two builders built with, they both had the same resources to begin with and still have the same resources and power now. And so the second builder says, hey God, here you go, how you like it? Wood, hay, and stubble. And the other builder, of course, over here, same resources, same spirit, same power. His house is of granite, gold, silver, marble, tile, slate. Now, if you grasp that understanding, beloved, that there's no judgment for sin here at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not what we're talking about, okay? God is going to look at these two dwellings. And the wood and the hay and the stubble isn't evil. It's just worthless. Because it won't withstand the test. It doesn't have, then, any eternal value. It's just a zero sum, Okay? The builder is a believer, the foundation is the same, but it isn't really fitting to put a mud house on the foundation of Christ, is it? And you could have built with gold, silver, granite, marble, slate, and tile. Now obviously the question is this, what constitutes gold, silver, granite, and, and marble? And what constitutes wood, hay, and straw? Because that's the first question that's going to pop into your mind. So how do you know what you're building with? And we're going to look at some passages in a moment to clarify this, but just in general. Gold would be the very finest service a Christian could render. The most godlike, the most Christ-like, the most pure motive thing possible. We're going to break this down so you don't have to remember these generalizations. The most self-sacrificing, the most dedicated, as with silver and granite and marble, these are the most lasting eternally things that you can do. They are the things that require the most total commitment with the pure motive that cost you the most personally, 
but you didn't do it for someone to recognize that fact. It just was costly to you and had pure motive as you came about. It was costly to you. You endured it for God's glory, perhaps, with the right heart, unselfish motive, self-denying, altruistic effort. And you can kind of get the sense of it. And you may have something like that in your building material. You may have this whole mud hut with a little gold patch on it because uh, one time you really did a job like that and so the building material was yours to use in your building and so you may have mud here and then some gold here and some marble or there might be a whole section like that or you put on a whole wing or a whole addition uh, to your home like that. Now wood, hay, straw, uh, they are evil in themselves. Okay, hay isn't evil. It's needed for bricks and so forth and straw. You can make a roof or a bird's nest. It has a purpose. It's not evil. It's just not lasting. Okay, do you get the sense? And then on the other side, you may have this beautiful building, uh, and it has a build-out on it on one side that's made out of wood because you were functioning in the flesh while you were building it, okay? So, you're always building, though. There's never a time when you're not. You've been building since you came to faith. And as we're going to see, busyness isn't necessarily the issue, okay? There are lots of people who go through their life, and they're very busy, 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 and they're building with wood, hay, and straw. And other people can be busy and they're laying up this amazing building built with things that will last. And ultimately, again, to remind us of the parameters of this judgment, only God can truly evaluate the work. He's the only one that can truly know the difference between mud and marble. But the reward isn't subjective, okay? You don't get to decide whether it's wood or marble. The Lord is able to clearly distinguish that. You can choose the materials. And the outcome can be greater then you could ask or think, and after we do some cross-referencing to verses that really are talking about the same thing, you can get a pretty good idea of what to expect and perhaps what you've been building with and what you could build with in the future, okay? Now let's get four areas of true evaluation. You can see these in your notes. You can jot them down. Now, the list is not exhaustive, okay? And you'll see that it connects to one another. This is very typical of, uh, as, we, as we look at the scripture and have it explain itself. But there are certainly things we can point to. Scripture is very clear about them. Okay, and so I want you to see them as well so that you can know what you've been building with, what you can build with in the future. Labor, true evaluation on labor. The Lord's going to look at it. Okay, we've already looked at this verse, but I want you to see it again. 1 Corinthians 3 8. You, I'll put it on the screen and you can look back at it if you'd like. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Okay, now we said before as we looked at the verse, we're not talking about success necessarily as we would view success. We're not talking about success as you perhaps would view success necessarily, okay? But it's labor. The Lord knows the labor that goes in. And this labor is very important, beloved, okay? It's not just general labor. It is the labor, as we see right there, of the planting of the seeds of the gospel and the watering of that plant. That's the labor. What kind of labor? Labor of planting the seeds of the gospel and the labor of watering the plant. Great commission types of labor, okay? I preach the gospel, teach them everything I have taught you, baptizing them. That's the labor. That's particularly what Paul was talking about as he speaks about himself and about Cephas and about Apollos. Okay? And we know that the judgment is wider than just those three. So we know that the labor is important. And as we said, the initial application here is ministers, but it spreads out, covers all who are believers because all have a ministry. Their business is one, but some mind that business more than others. Did you catch that? All of our business is one business. That's the planting of the seeds of the gospel and the watering of those seeds. All of our business is that business. Five times in the gospel, go and make disciples. Your business, my business. But some mind the business better than others, okay? And maybe you're not minding that business at all. Understand, 
That type of labor you're doing, if you're not mining that business, is not building with gold, silver, costly stone. Okay? That's a labor the Lord's looking at. The in desire is one desire, okay? But some pursue the in desire better than others, more closely. The master is one. And this good master can make difference in the reward he gives according to the different service that's done as it's commanded. Those that work hardest at these things, they have gold, silver, costly stone. Those that are engaged in this business, in his business, if you will, working together with God and promoting the purposes of his glory, which is the salvation and sanctification of his people. It's his priority. He keeps track. Labor is one of those things that's going to be brought under true evaluation. What did you do for that? For the labor of the kingdom. Okay? It applies to every ministry that you do. If you're, if you're ministering in Sunday school, if you're ministering in junior church, if you minister in Awana, if you minister wherever it is you minister, if you've got a teaching ministry, how does that labor come about? Okay? A couple of cross-references here. Proverbs 11.30. We've seen this before. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise is busy. What is it? He who is wise wins souls. How about Daniel, as we looked at that last evaluation of Daniel, as we were exiting that book, as we studied it. Remember Daniel 3, 12, 3? Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Talk about a future state. And those who lead the many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. The Lord recognizes that kind of labor. He keeps close track of it. And people can be really busy about a lot of things and beloved all around their home or all around their job place are people who have never been witnessed to by them. Okay? And that labor of witnessing and discipling is one God is measuring and with it you choose the building materials. Okay, you've got labor. Number two, motive. And of course these are all connected because motive is connected to labor. You may be doing the labor with the wrong motive. You want somebody to see you. You want somebody to recognize it. Whatever it is, okay? So motive is connected. But it relates to action and how you spend your time and the motive that you brought to doing it, okay? Now, here's the passage that connects to it. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Now, there's some room for you to write in your notes. I would suggest you also write in the margin of your Bible. It's helpful. And so you can turn here if you want. Therefore, Paul says, parallel passage to this judgment seat of Christ, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Let's pause right there. So, uh, God is going to bring true evaluation to your motives and everything you want to keep secret. Okay? A couple of things here that I want you to see. Okay? Two words. And they're important to notice here. First, things hidden. Uh, that's the Greek adjective proptos. Make sure I... There you go. Something someone wants to keep sealed from another. Okay? That's the hidden things. Now, that could be good. Okay? It could be anonymous gifts given. It could be diligent prayer for someone else. You don't want them to know you're praying for them. You're just praying for them. Okay? And you, you, the Lord brings them to your mind. You pray for them diligently. The Lord, nobody sees that except the Lord. It's a hidden thing. Okay? Uh, it could be respectful, it could be thoughtful thoughts about somebody else, it could be prayerful, considerate, uh, selfless types of deeds on someone else's behalf, hidden things, nobody knows you did it, it's under the radar, um, hidden things. And it could be bad, too, okay, it could be disrespectful, it could be selfish, it could be jealous, it could be unkind self-talk, it could be gossiping and backbiting, you know, the scripture calls this murmuring, it could be all of that, see, it's hidden, the Lord's going to bring it all to light, okay. 
So it's all used for building your house, though, beloved, okay? It's all going to be known. It's all going to be tried. The motive in which you brought to the work or that you brought along with you while you did the work, uh, self-talk, condemnation, whatever it happens to be in the process of doing your work, realize that if you're bringing that motive, you're building with wood, hay, and straw, and not gold, silver, and costly stone, okay? And only the Lord can evaluate that. He's the only one who's going to bring it all to light, okay? Whatever it was you murmured in the background, whatever it was you talked to somebody about what's hidden, it's all going to be made clear, okay? And all the stuff's going to be clear, and not for punishment, for sin. That's already been dealt with on the cross, okay? Everything against you, and all that certainly would have been, right? That's all dealt with on the cross. It has to do with what you're building with, and motive has a big impact on that, all right? And then this word motive, okay, that's the word uh, boule, Greek word for counsels, okay? And what we think about, first the hidden things, and then the counsels of the heart. The heart's used, to, of course, to indicate the seat of the emotion in Scripture. So what's going on in the heart, how you really feel about something, that's the issue. How you really feel about it. You may be doing it, but how do you feel about doing it? That's the thing, okay? Some of your thoughts and motives as it relates to your actions are wood and hay, and straw, and some of them are gold, silver, and precious stones, and so are mine. And so, you do something totally and supremely for the glory of God, what is that? That's gold. As you do that, whatever it is, that labor that you do, whether you're going out and spreading the gospel, whether you're witnessing in your teaching time, whether, whatever it is, whatever the ministry that you do, as you bring to it then pure things that are hidden and pure motives in the heart, what you really think about it, you're building with gold. That's a motive. God knows what you secretly think about it, he knows what you say to yourself in the privacy of your own mind about it, okay? He knows why you did it. Did you do it so men could know? What were you thinking about when you did the thing that you did? Those are the things that are important, not what you did, okay? You may do a deed that looks gold, but your motive was stubble. Or your secret thought about it are hay. And that's what you build with, and it won't last, okay? Because the Lord says right here, he says, there's going to come a time... Wait till the Lord is clearly able to identify all this stuff. He's going to bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then he'll bring praise to those who have been building with the right materials. Okay? So it's a really great uh, illustration, I think, that Paul brings to bear in this next letter that we're going to study. So, a couple great illustrations here. Matthew 6, 1. There's a number of them in Matthew as Jesus is teaching about what the Pharisees did, he says this, just beware of practicing your righteousness before men as to be noticed by them, okay? Not that you shouldn't practice righteousness in front of men, but that you're doing it so somebody will recognize, wow, he's really spiritual, okay? Because if you're doing it for that motive, then you're building with wood and hay and straw, okay? So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. Isn't that perfect? It goes perfectly with what we just read. You already got your reward. What was it? You are so spiritual. Good job. Okay? And then he goes on and talks about praying in front of people. If you pray so that people will notice how spiritual you are and how theological your words are and how you put them together so perfectly, you already get your reward. What is it? Wow, you can really pray. That was amazing. Okay? So, public giving, same thing. You want to make sure you... You know, you print your big check so that everybody knows what you gave to Liberty University, you know, $100 million or whatever. You got your reward. You are so generous. You didn't build with anything that lasted, okay? And I'm, I'm just picking on Liberty. They can't help who gives and what they want to do with it, all right? But that's the thing, okay? 
Are you doing it so men will notice? Are you doing it totally and supremely for the glory of God? Because God knows the difference. Because when it comes right down to it, beloved, 2 Corinthians 10, 18, very important passage. For it's not he who commends himself that's approved, but he who the Lord commends is approved. Okay? So, true evaluation will also include labor, motive, and number three, conduct. You can see these are all connected, okay, but they're also independent, so we can look at them. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his, here it is, deeds in the body. Now, all of the ministry that you do, obviously, are done in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, let's pause right there. Deeds in the body is key. That's the thing that we're looking at. The things we've done physically, the way we live our life, the day-to-day conduct of our life, that's what's in focus here. So it's a little separate from what we've been looking at, okay? What we do day by day, how we conduct ourselves in our life, that's the thing. Is it wood, hay, straw, or gold, silver, and costly stone? Now, it has two words there, good or bad, and and it's easy to take them incorrectly, and some have, and some commentaries are wrong, and just say, well, the bad part you're going to pay for. So they're important words, I want to clarify them, because there are some other words that could have been used that would have made it a little bit different meaning. But really, the context here, uh, people sometimes think this is some kind of a moral good or moral evil. But really, in context, they're adjectives describing the work of the believer, okay? Agathos, that's things that are excellent. Pholos, those things that are worthless, that's the word that's used here. Those things are worthless, of no account. Uh, That's the best translation. Paul could have used poneros. He could have said agathos and poneros. That would have been the Greek adjective Paul could have used if it was moral evil that he was talking about, but he's not talking about that. He's just talking about a zero sum, things that are worthless, okay? You're not being judged on evil. We already said that. It's been judged on the cross. So you're being judged on your conduct for reward. What's going to last that the Lord can reward you for? You're going to be judged on what is good and what is worthless. That's the understanding there. And what's worthless is burned up, and there's no reward. But just as a footnote, of course, for believers, Moral evil that you do would also be worthless. That's a zero sum, okay? But you're not being judged because it's evil so that you can be judged for evil that's put on the cross. So labor, motive, conduct, and then ministry. I'm getting way behind myself here. There we go. Ministry. All right, now, this is one of those, beloved, that there are many more applications we can make here than we're going to have time to make. So I'm going to encourage you to continue to study, as I said at the beginning of this study. As we go through these passages from Paul, there are many more applications we can make than we have time to make. And so you have the same tutor, and you have the same word, and you can go through and you can see how ministry is impacted here. But really it has to do, I think the specific thing it has to do, with the use of spiritual gifts and difficult times that will come in ministry. And that's the thing that the Lord takes a look at. And the first illustration I want to use, and there will be a number of ones, because I want to make sure we connect well to it. 1 Peter 4.10. Here's the main thing. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So it's in the imperative. You, you are to do this. this. You have received a gift. That's the fact of your life. And you are to employ it in serving, uh, in the manifold, serving as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11. Whoever speaks has to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So you're doing it in God's power. And you're speaking God's utterances. And whoever serves, so two general classifications for spiritual gifts, and there are, of course, more we could parse out. We won't today. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So speaking gifts and then serving gifts, and there are lots of ones that are broken down, and we've looked at some of that in the past. 
so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are many, many passages that give direct command to use your spiritual gifts in the church. And the use of your spiritual gift is the supreme way that God wants to use you, okay? And all, it applies to everything we've talked about so far, okay? But the use of your spiritual gift is the supreme way God wants to use you, okay? And your biggest blessing from obedience is going to be found when you're functioning that way, all right? Doing ministry inside your spiritual gift set is the way the Lord is really looking for you to be serving, okay? And it certainly measures effort along with obedience, okay? Because you're, you can be serving in your spiritual gift, and then Romans 12, 1, 11 may not be uh, the issue for you, but it may be, okay? And you can kind of evaluate this way you're using your spiritual gift here. Not lagging behind in diligence, because this is the type of service you're giving. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay, now listen. And we talked about this when we went through Romans 12. Mark it, beloved, that the Lord measures the diligence you bring to the ministry you do, okay? So, just the easy ones to pick on. If you're always late to your ministry, you're not doing it this way, okay? If you're showing up there after class has already started or when it's already supposed to be started or you're showing up to the nursery and there's already seven babies in there and only one worker, listen, you've missed it, okay? And I say that with all respect and joy and I realize that you have a life apart from what goes on here. But the ministry effort is measured and Paul says don't lag behind in diligence. Own it. And whatever difficulties come along, solve them. All right? Don't give up. Stick with it. Guess what? When you begin to minister inside your spiritual gift, you're the perfect target for the enemy. How can we discourage him now? Because then everybody will see that he just gave up. He just hurt everybody. See? So expect there to be some difficulty. We're going to look at that in just a second. It's going to be difficult times. Okay? But own the ministry. Be fervent in spirit. So you're excited about doing it. That's a motive, isn't it? I'm fervent. I'm excited about doing it. I want to do this ministry. I know it's hard, and, and it's just this little class, or, or this just these couple people, or whatever it is, see? The Lord's measuring all that, okay? And there's going to be a difficult time, and the way you bear up under it will either build with gold, silver, granite, marble, or with wood, hay, and straw, okay? Hebrews 10, 35 through 37. Therefore, he, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. So bring diligence, bring, bring fervency, come with an urgency to do this, for you have need of endurance so that uh, you have, when you have done the will of God, you receive what was promised. Bring it. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and won't delay. There's the same language we looked at last week. He's going to come. He's going to evaluate it. He's not going to delay. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render each man according to his deeds. Isn't that great? That's, that's an exciting thing to look forward to. Unless, as you look back over your life, you realize you've just been building with wood and hay and straw, and there's not going to be much left when he gets done with his judgment. So then it's time to start throwing on a wing that's not made out of wood, hay, and straw. Okay? You're going to receive what was promised, clearly glorification, sanctification, but also reward. Okay? Same idea, Galatians 6, 9. And once again, there's so many we could, we could look at. We just won't have time. Here Paul says to the Galatians, let us not lose heart in doing good. So don't be discouraged about it, all right? Don't give up in your mind that it's not worthwhile. For a due time we will reap 
if we do not grow weary. You know, there's a time in my ministry, this is just personal insight for me, and perhaps it's helpful. I was in youth ministry a long time, and I always said I would never go into adult ministry. Okay? And I was like almost 40, uh, close to 40. Because I didn't think that adult ministry had that much positive outcome. And those who are youth pastors, you understand what I'm talking about. You have a long life of baggage carried along, and you're not planning on changing it, and you're just going to check into church and then, you know, go do what you're going to do. That's, that's kind of the negative thought I brought. It was a very, very fleshly way to approach uh, the thought about a ministry that the Lord was going to put me in and push me to and make happen, all right? And so I guess as I look at that, let us not lose heart in doing good for due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. Sometimes in a moment where I'm a little depressed, I still think that. What good is possibly coming from this? You have reactions from people that are negative, reactions from people who are ungodly, unspiritual, criticism. Listen, and it happens in ministry. Everybody who's pastored, you know this, okay? But for this reason we labor and strive. Paul says, Timothy, for we serve the God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Right? And so you find encouragement in those kinds of things, don't you? And you don't grow weary in, in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. God looks at the whole attitude you're bringing to bear. Okay? So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. If you have opportunity, do it. Okay? And especially to those who are of the household of faith. You're going to reap your reward if you keep on going. With all those qualifications that we just mentioned, okay? Bring the right motive to bear, all right? Bring the right labor, the right conduct. Come to your ministry with fervency. Again, 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. Difficult times. For this finds favor. For the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what's right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, and this finds favor with God. All these things related, beloved, to the life of the ministry, and there are so many others. God uses these for true evaluation, difficult times, hardship that comes, um, difficult people, all right? Those are the only two ways God's going to make you more like Christ anyway, difficult people and difficult times. When everything's smooth sailing, you're not really being conformed too much into the image of Christ. So he uses these things. Don't be weary of doing good. All these things are measured Okay, they relate to life in the ministry. So what kind of building are you building? And it's an important thing to think about. More than just a cursory overview, okay? Any more than you could go look at those of you, some of you bought houses this year and you looked at a whole bunch of them and you walked through and your initial uh, view of the house from the curb was great, right? Had great curb appeal and you just kind of blazed through the house and you just thought, this is a really great house. But you're not looking really closely, are you? And then you bring, maybe bring in a building inspector and he like gives you a list that's seven pages long of stuff that's wrong with the house and you didn't see any of it, see? That's the kind of inspection we need to have, see? Because we look closely at what we've done and why we've done it. So what kind of building are you building? Because with every building, there's going to be an inspection. Now look at verse 13 back. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Each man's work will become evident. So it's for sure going to be evident. No, you know, over in the secret, Lord, could you do mine over here where nobody's, you know, in this room. There's nobody in this room. Let's do mine over here, okay? Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. There's coming a day then, as we've said, where everybody's work's going to be tested. 
Uh, perhaps after the rapture, we're all going to be with Jesus, and, and one by one, uh, with everyone else watching, we're going to see our building, because that's the point of everything that was secret made public, right? You know, what was whispered in secret, shadow from the rooftops. I mean, the whole thing, okay? And Jesus is going to test it with his holy fire and see what's left. And I would think that, here's the thing, he already knows what the outcome's going to be when he looks at the house, don't you think? I mean, if the Lord comes back now, or if this is the last day of your life, he's already looking at your house, he knows what the outcome's going to be. He's already seen it. He sees it. Okay? He knows the quality of it. So who's the test really for? Right? I mean, the Lord already knows what's going to happen when his holy fire is brought to, brought to bear. Okay? Wood, hay, and straw are going to burn. Gold, silver, marble, granite. They're not going to burn. Every man's work's going to be tested. Why? So you can see what's left. So he can punish us? No. And this is the great part about this. So he can reward you on what's left. Look at verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. We know what the issues are. Okay? We can move forward then confidently and say, okay, we know what the issues are. We know what the kind of building materials we have. We know there's unlimited resources. You have the same power, same Holy Spirit. Okay? You can make the same decisions about how you're going to do it. What you're going to bring to bear in, the, in, in this uh, course of the ministry, you have all, that, all that is yours, okay? It falls to you. You may have a lot of your house left after it's all done. Uh, you may only have a little piece of precious stone, a little hunk of gold left on the foundation when the fire's done, and God will say, here's your reward. Look at verse 15. Now that we have the issues, see, we can move confidently through these, and we can see these and understand how they apply. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So, some of the buildings escape the fire with a little bit left over. But I think, as we combine this with 1 Corinthians 4, 5, because you may think, man, what if nothing's left? It's just this swept clean you know, foundation, like you see after tornadoes go through Oklahoma. You know, what if it's just a foundation? I don't think that's the issue, Okay. Because I think with the Holy Spirit in you, there's going to be some things that you've done in the right way, the right labor, with the right motive. So, and I think that's what 1 Corinthians 5, 4, 5 tells us, okay? Uh, therefore, that's the whole point Paul's bringing this to bear here. Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then, what's it say? Only a couple people will get praise from God. No, it's in the each man praise will come to him from God, each man's praise. And so I think the idea there is that it might not be as much as you thought, but you were faithful in that little thing, whatever it was, or maybe a lot. Everyone shall have some praise. So whenever in your life you labored hard and you labored selflessly in the planting of the seeds of the gospel and the watering of those plants and teaching sound doctrine, you're building with gold, silver, and costly stone. And to qualify that, whenever in your life you labored and your motives were pure, and whatever it was you did, you did simply and completely for the unselfish love of the glory of God, alone, you built with gold and silver and costly stone. And whenever in your life, in your daily conduct, was holy and righteous and obedient to the Lord, bringing the flesh into submission, you were building with gold, silver, and costly stone. You were putting the death of deeds of the flesh. And whenever in your life, uh, your ministry and your service is spiritually beneficial and it's faithful 
and it's diligent, and it's fervent, and it's long-suffering. We were building with gold and silver and costly stone. And God knows when you did it correctly, even if you don't, because we don't always know, do we, our own heart. We don't always know what our own motives were. And we may be conflicted in the middle of doing it, right? And so part of it was good, and part of it, uh, we changed material in the middle of driving a nail. And so God will evaluate it, and you'll be rewarded. And others may not have a clear view of it either. Now, you may wonder, what are the rewards going to be? And they correspond so well with what we've seen already. But the scripture teaches that they'll be in part crowns. In fact, that's the things that they talk about. The scripture talks about a number of places. The Bible talks about crowns. There's certainly going to be a position of ruling. We understand that is a reward from the Lord. Certainly, as Luke 19:17, you are in charge of very little, be in charge of ten cities. That whole idea of uh, being faithful in doing what you're supposed to do with you have little to do it with, and the Lord gives you uh, more responsibility. We certainly understand in the thousand-year reign there will be uh, responsibilities to believers as they come in. We've looked at that extensively in our study in Revelation. But there's certainly going to be an ability to glorify God to a greater degree as a result of facing difficult times. And we've noticed that, we've noted that numerous times uh, in uh, the scriptures. We've looked through it. It's really great. First Peter uh, 1, 6 and 7. Really great passage. I'll read it to you. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, isn't that great? Same wording. Proof of your faith in the midst of difficult times. You're faithful to the Lord. You don't uh, disregard his instruction and even the difficult times you're going through, but you embrace it. That's the proof of your faith. It's more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. Gold eventually can be lost. It can eventually be uh, torn down, but ultimately, see, may be found as a result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In some way, God never wastes a difficult time for you, okay? He brings you through hardship. He doesn't waste any of it. In the way that you use it to glorify him, you show the proof of your faith, pure as gold, tested. In that way, somehow, in the eternal state, because you went through it and you did it correctly, you'll be able to glorify God in a better way than if you had not handled it correctly or had not had the opportunity to go through it. I know a number of beloved uh, brothers of mine and sisters who've been plagued with any number of physical ailments. One uh, specific brother up in western New York who I love dearly has uh, had a debilitating uh, disease for so many years. It's just uh, reduced him to being able to lay only on his back or on his side wherever somebody moves him, and yet he is so rich in blessing, and I would go and see him, and I would come away enriched, and I didn't know if I even left anything for him to be enriched because I was so blessed. And I just understand at some point, uh, the Lord's going to take him, and he's going to be in heaven, and with a glorified body, able to glorify the Lord much better than Kurt Parker ever would even imagine to be able to glorify him. And some of you have know that. You've gone through difficult times. You're going through them now. And you're handling it well, and you're, you're facing it with an understanding the Lord's put you there, and uh, you're honoring him. You've shown your faith to be more precious than gold, and you'll be able to, to glorify the Lord. So there's certainly reward there. As we said earlier, 1 Timothy 6.19, you know, an accounting and reward of future foundation. That's what 1 Timothy 6.19, a good foundation for the future built on uh, what you did with what you had materially. Okay? Consumed it all upon yourself, and, and uh, you just tipped God from time to time. Uh, the Lord keeps track of all that. And some who've been very, very generous will find uh, quite a different situation than those who were not. But the scripture speaks of crowns, and they really correspond well with the, with the areas we've looked at and evaluated, and even the areas we just talked about. 
And there's a number of crowns, and we'll look at them, and you can copy them down. Um, I'm going to get them up on the screen and then talk about them so you can uh, get them there um, on your notes if you'd like them. They are imperishable crowns, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.25. We'll look at that more in depth, but that's crowns for those who labor well, and really that's fervency, that's diligence, uh, that's uh, you know, doing it with the right motive. Imperishable crown, okay? You had that building material in your house. The Lord tested it with fire. It remained an imperishable crown. The crown of righteousness, those are for, for those, according to 1 Timothy 4.8, by their actions and their priorities show that they're looking forward to Jesus' return. And you can certainly see that motive in ministry, right? You're going to be diligent in ministry. You're going to be fervent. You're going to be, uh, have some excitement about ministry. You're going to own the ministry uh, because you're looking forward to the Lord's return. You understand that inevitable accounting and you rejoice in it because the way you're spending your life now. So that's great. It corresponds really well, that crown of righteousness. Um, we see that um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, that's the crown of rejoicing. Those that labor hard, giving out the gospel and watering. Those that labor hard for the gospel. There's a crown there. Of course, that's building material you can use. Obviously, it will withstand the test of fire, and the Lord will reward you for that. The crown of glory, uh, that's 1 Peter 5, 4. Those are for those who serve as pastors and that are faithful in that uh, ministry. The crown of life from James 1, 12. James says it's for those who love Jesus sacrificially, have, in, have to endure hardship to serve him. Certainly those who are martyrs, certainly those who serve in other parts of the world where there's great hardship in being a believer. But it can also apply to you. You serve sacrificially. Uh, it's difficult for you to do the ministry you do. Uh, some things have been brought to bear that make it hard for you to do it. You do it sacrificially and generously, and you do it in a way that the Lord uh, would approve. That's the crown of life waiting for you. That's building material that's gold, silver, and costly stone that lasts the test of fire. And no doubt there are other ways the Lord will reward the remains of the building. But mark this, beloved. Here, this is very important. Whatever the reward is, and however it works out, and I don't claim to know all of the specifics of that because Scripture doesn't give us actual specifics of how the reward is going to be given and how it's going to work out. We, we notice that a representative of, of uh, believers are there in Revelation who are casting their crowns before the Lord. So there may be some giving of the Lord that that you have uh, that was his power working in you. But here's the thing. It will last for eternity. And mark this a little bit. It will somehow work out to his praise, honor, and glory. And once the test is done, there's no way to change it. Okay? Once the test is done, there's no way to change it. When, you're, when your life on earth is done, that's it. You, you've built your building, whatever it's going to be, and then it's going to be brought uh, into the examination. It's fixed for all eternity. Which is why Paul says in verse 10, each man must be careful how he builds on it. The fire will test and there might be a great inferno in some people's cases. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So he'll lose everything except his salvation maybe, perhaps. He'll suffer loss, but not the loss of salvation, the loss of what? Well, the greatest majority of his life's work is going to come down. And that will obviously be the case for some because uh, it's going to be the case because it's here in a reassuring, albeit sad comment that if everything is burned up, which I think from 1 Corinthians uh, 4, perhaps not everything, but if everything is burned up and it is certainly only the foundation left, you don't lose your salvation. And no doubt, examined, beloved, on the surface, here's the thing I want you to remember. No believer would immediately think that they would be the one to lose nearly everything. Okay? 
Let's be real. If you've been thinking in your life, well, I'm not going to lose everything, you need to be very careful about that evaluation. Nobody thinks they're going to come home to their house some night and it's going to just be a foundation smoldering. And yet it happens on a regular basis, doesn't it? Nobody takes a look at their own life on just a cursory way and thinks, you know, it's not going to happen to me. There's not going to be a big conflagration when my works are tested. And yet it certainly will happen. And people will say, oh man, you mean everything I was doing in my life was all wood, hay, and straw? Yeah, sorry about that. Doesn't have to stay that way, though, see? Make sure you're doing the best thing, right? Because things you did with a complaining spirit, things you did with criticism, things you did with the wrong motive, listen, it's all wood, hay, and stubble, no matter how long you did it, okay? You might build this huge house and it's a wood frame with mud bricks sitting on it. Or it may be this beautiful marble and costly stone and gold and silver thing worthy to sit on the foundation of Christ and will withstand the test with very little loss. Make sure you're doing not the good thing, the best thing. Make sure you're using your life up in the best way. Make sure you're laboring hard and selflessly in the planting of seeds of the gospel and watering of the plants and teaching sound doctrine. Make sure you're doing that. Make sure your motives are pure. Make sure in whatever it is that you do, simply and completely you do it for the unselfish love of the glory of God. Because that could change what could have been marble into straw. Okay? Make sure your daily conduct is holy and righteous and obedient to the Lord, bringing flesh into submission putting to death the deeds of the flesh, because that can change what would have been gold into hay. Make sure your life ministry and your service is spiritually beneficial and faithful and diligent and long-suffering and patient, even when it gets hard. So that can build with gold and silver and costly stone. And whatever you've done before, whatever you've built up until now, make sure that as you continue to build, you build with things that will last, things that will still be there for all eternity when all the combustible things are all gone. All right? I think that's Paul's emphasis, and we're not going to get to 16 and 17 today. We'll start with those next week. Let's bow and be, have an opportunity to reflect on some of those things. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be together today, to be in your word together, to read through these passages which are so important and an important reality for the future of everyone who names your name. And you didn't hide these things from us. They're not um, sealed up in mystery and we, we can't discover them and we're going to find out at the end somehow that we didn't know what we were supposed to do and, and yet we're getting in trouble for it. But instead, dealt with all of our sin on the cross through Christ, and for that we're so grateful. And now you've told us, listen, you have materials with which you can build. Wood, hay, and straw, which are a zero sum, although may look nice on the outside, will not last for eternity and make no difference for eternity because of the way we've done it, the type of work that it was, the attitude we brought to bear while we did it, the lack of fervency and diligence that we may have brought, the, the sinful continually sinful life which corrupted and, and uh, quenched the work of the Spirit in us 
and we built with those things which don't last or with pure motives for ultimately for your glory and honor. Work that was diligent and fervent, laboring hard in the planting of seed and the watering of seed and all that labor bringing the right motive. We built with gold and silver and costly stone. We're not really sure, Father, even as we look at ourselves and even in the quietness of this moment, asking your Holy Spirit to be so clear to us, we're not really sure what the final outcome will be. We can't remember even things we've done in the past, perhaps, and what motive we brought to bear, but you've kept track. We're not able even to evaluate clearly now because of the way that we are and how we try to cast what we do in the best possible light. But Lord, in the brightness of your holiness, and in this moment as we're able to approach boldly before your throne, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work, illuminating for us heart attitudes and character and motive and labor and conduct and ministry. That we might come before you humbly asking for you to show us what we have built and then show us how we can build better if that be the case. And Father, I know that all of us would desire for Berean to reflect gold and silver and costly stone. And so it would be our desire together to pray in your will, really, that we build with those types of materials. Help us to know and evaluate them correctly. Help us to see how we can do it better. May you take your Holy Spirit and do the work in each life as you see fit. And for those perhaps who sit here today and you know that you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit, you know that you've not built anything worthwhile, you don't even recognize that you have a relationship with the Lord at all, no doubt there are some who sit here and have that in their mind, and what I just got through saying seems ridiculous. May I say to you, as Paul has said, beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Understand the scripture is very clear that apart from a relationship to God through Jesus Christ, you remain in your sin or under a curse, and that left untreated will result in spiritual, permanent spiritual separation between you and the Lord forever in hell and physical death forever. And yet the Lord has graciously, in his love for you, provided a plan of salvation where all your sin is dealt with by Christ on the cross. He took your place, a substitution, your wickedness, he took and gave you the opportunity to have his righteousness. Confess with your mouth now, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. God has raised him from the dead and you shall, Paul says in Romans 10, be saved. It'd be our desire that you come to that saving knowledge. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to talk with you. You can respond to us in the car that's in front of you in the, in the chair. Come forward at the end of the time together. I'd love to chat with you about that. It'd be our joy for you to begin with the foundation, which no other man can lay, Jesus Christ himself, and you begin the construction of that spiritual house for his honor and glory and of gold and silver, costly stone. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, Lord. Please do your work among us that might be pleasing to him. Servants who wait for the Master to return to be found doing what we're supposed to do. For him.
to him be honor and glory, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen.